The famous American entrepreneur Henry Ford once said that it is a fact of life that not many people know how the banks actually work, and if they did, then there would be a revolution the next morning. Now, admittedly, that sounds really drastic and is quite quaint. Yet, I am here to tell you today that what he said is actually largely true, especially in the context of today, because you see, there is a great illusion, a facade that has been the very essence of banking. For hundreds of years, and if you discovered it, you realize how flimsy it really is. And today, it is being largely threatened, which really makes us question the future of banking. Now, to really understand what I'm talking about, to get this illusion, we have to go back in time to hundreds of years ago when banks actually first rose. Banks first arose as these institutions, these places where wealthy clients, like for example merchants or aristocrats or perhaps even noble people, could actually store their actual gold. It was a place to store wealth, and literally they would store gold, maybe in these vaults at these banks hundreds of years ago. And it was a really good business. People needed a place to actually store their wealth, and that's what banks were. And very quickly, banks accumulated a lot of these deposits of gold throughout Europe and also largely the world. And very quickly, banks realized an interesting phenomenon: many people were depositing these gold at these banks, yet not many of them were withdrawing these gold at the same time. In other words, there were a lot of idle deposits, a lot going in, but not many of it coming out at least at the same time. Yet at the same time, there's also a perfect storm where there is a lot of commercial need for wealth to fund and finance. Commercial activity. So banks really quickly put two and two together. They realized that if they were to take these idle deposits and actually loan them out, these gold, loan them out to these businesses that needed it, and they charged it at an interest, then it could be a very profitable business. And this gave birth to the concept of fractional reserve banking, the very essence of banking today. In essence, taking idle deposits that are coming in. And actually loaning them out at interest to make profit. This is very much the fabric of banking as we know it. But of course, there are limitations to actually loaning out gold. Not only is it quite heavy, there is a physical limitation towards its transportation. The reach can only be so big. So these banks very quickly they realize that they have to be more efficient. So instead of actually loaning out gold, they started to actually produce these certificates, these pieces of paper, which were essentially a warrant for gold. In other words, a bank saying that they owed you the gold. It was as good as the gold itself, and these notes from the bank became what we know today as banknotes, essentially the money that we use these physical paper, and they were treated in the same sense as actual wealth, as currency. And the banks would issue out these paper again to people who needed it, and that really became in circulation as we know it today. And today, fractional reserve banking is very much alive. Of course, we are still using notes, not so much gold anymore. When you're at a bank, when you're accessing your account and your capital, your wealth, it's also essentially digital. Now, if you take a moment to consider what's actually happening. And you scrutinize the fractional reserve banking itself, the dynamics of it. Something very magical is actually going on, and what's going on is that the banks are actually creating money, in essence, from thin air. Take a moment to consider: when you're getting a loan, you're no longer getting the physical gold bar itself. You're essentially getting a digit, right? So when you're getting a loan, what the bank is doing, if it's proved, is it's crediting your account. The bank essentially makes a figure appear. Essentially, from thin air, and this record is treated as again the capital that you have access to. So, truly, what the banks are doing is creating wealth from thin air, and the banks have been doing this for hundreds of years since moving away from the gold standard. And you might think this sounds like a giant sham, 
In a way, it is, yet it is a very important sham because, again, the money that's being created by the banks are usually used to finance the economy, especially through commercial activity. Businesses for hundreds of years needed access to finance and they would go to the banks to get loans and through fractional reserve banking, they would get the funds that they needed. These banknotes, they could trade with one another. And of course, today, these digital transactions, we can do with one another. In other words, banks are very much the cornerstone of our economy and this perpetuated illusion, this facade, is actually very important to the economy as we know it. It is also the very foundation of much of our economic development for hundreds of years. And indeed, the governments around the world, the states, they recognize the importance of the role the banks actually play. And more significantly, they recognize this illusion. So what they've done is they've actually supported it for hundreds of years. And how they do it is largely through this governmental body known as the central bank. So what the central bank does that's slightly different from the banks is that it actually produces the paper notes which it issues to the banks for the banks themselves to distribute to us people. So of course, if we want to go to an ATM, we could get these notes which are actually being printed and produced by the central banks. And by doing this, the government is giving credibility and legitimacy to the fractional reserve banking system. Because in essence, it is putting its name on the piece of paper, which essentially is actually worthless. If you think about it, it is essentially just paper. Yet it is paper authorized by the state, by the government, lending its sovereignty to these notes, which are distributed to the banks. Again, this giant illusion, this sham that not many of us are aware of, the government is fully perpetuating it with the banks. Now, the beauty of fractional reserve banking as a system is that it is incredibly elastic in terms of its contribution to economic development. Because if, let's say, at any given period, there is a great need for finances, then of course, banks can issue out a lot of loans and essentially create money out of thin air to finance all these commercial developments, to inject a much needed financing into all sorts of developments that are happening. But of course, there are also challenges with letting the banks do exactly this. Because if, for example, they are creating too much money out of thin air, then that can lead to inflation. Too much money in the economy and the markets can lead to increase in price as more and more money gets injected into all sorts of products and services. So this is also where the government plays a role of a game master. The central banks can actually set interest rates to try and affect and create costs for these banks. Who will pass the cost to people? In other words, if the interest rates are too high because of monetary policy from the central banks, then loans become more expensive and less people will actually get loans. And that is potentially a strategy against inflation. But more or less, we have all been living in an illusion perpetuated by the banks and the government. And this is really fractional reserve banking, the very fabric of banking as we know it. Yet this illusion today is under greater threat of revolution than ever before because of our technological developments and these shifts in our economy and its development and progression. So for example, if you think about in the past, if you were a business and you needed loans, let's say if you were doing a conventional traditional business of manufacturing, so you needed to buy a lot of machinery, a plant, land, you would go to the bank, of course, for loan. And the banks would consider your application and it would take collateral or security for the loan by putting collateral against, for example, your property, your machinery. And it's easy to do that. Again, quite straightforward. Yet today, businesses and economic development has really outpaced the entire conventional model as we understand it. For example, if you were to imagine a digital business, you were to launch a website and there is no physical assets, how exactly do you collateralize 
a digital business or website. It is very, very difficult to do so. There technically isn't a physical asset that is secure for the bank to actually hinge the loan on. And so a lot of these more innovative businesses are no longer being matched with bank loans or fractional reserve banking as we know it. And instead, the more innovative businesses will have to go to other sources of finance, which over the last two to three decades have really grown, especially in the area of private equity. So we're talking about venture capitalists, angel investors, all these alternative forms of financing which are not from banks. And indeed, if you were to look at the statistics, you would know that private equity has actually been growing exponentially in the last decade alone. It has really exploded, representing billions and billions of dollars globally, and it shows no sign of stopping. Even from a macro viewpoint, if you were to look at statistics where you look at banks in terms of its financing of businesses as a proportion to GDP, the figure over the last 20 years has actually been quite stable, with not much signs of growth. Yet at the same time, if you were to look at private equity and its contribution to GDP over the last 20 years, there is an exponential growth in terms of the scale itself. And you can see that comparative difference. It is indeed a very distinctive difference. In simple terms, it suggests that today, many of the commercial activities as we know it are no longer primarily being funded by banks and largely are going through other avenues of financing which is a great threat to banks because as we've established historically, fractional reserve banking, this is really the very fabric of it. And today that is being diminished by the developments in our economy. And not to mention, of course, we know, many of us even right now, the rise of fintech and really innovations in the financial sector, which has really led to these tech companies creating these really amazing apps which are offering financial services. For example, PayPal and of course, Alipay which offers a very convenient way for us to actually access financial services by sending money or transferring money and making payments at our fingertips. And of course, we know that the user base growth of all these apps are exponential as well. No longer do we have to go to a bank to do these things or necessarily take out a bank card. We're actually using our phones more and more. Now there is a substantial disruptive threat from this for the banks because by actually using these apps, we are entirely foregoing the banking infrastructure and foregoing the transactional fees that banks usually charge for these services. Now they're actually flowing into these tech companies. And with more and more of these apps and these tech companies actually going into other traditional financial services offered by banks, like for example, provisional loans or insurance, the barrier between what a bank does and what a tech company does is actually much thinner. And indeed, FinTech today is worth billions of dollars as well globally. And it is also growing with no signs of stopping. But perhaps most interestingly, I think over the past year has to be really the idea of digital currencies, essentially currencies that are entirely created or the magic that is entirely created not by banks this time not by fractional reserve banking but essentially by private entities and anonymous entities or individuals or tech companies money that is entirely created outside of the banking system that is also existing in its own void with its own transactional networks and systems and channels. And as we have seen in headlines over the past year, there's a lot of signs of threat being posed by these digital currencies as they are growingly being accepted as legal tenders and also being used for commercial transactions. Now you would think with everything I've said so far that the banks are really in trouble and indeed that seems to be the case. And you might be wondering that earlier we talked about central banks. Now what are the central banks doing then? Are they supporting these banks? Well, if you were to take digital currencies as an example, 
What central banks are actually exploring is really overall economic requirements. And in many of its current proposals, banks may actually be sidestepped. Because for example, many of these central banks around the world right now are considering creating a central bank-backed digital currency, a CDBC. Essentially, a digital currency created by the state, by the governments. Even this solution, which is now the collective trend on the international level, poses significant questions to really banking and its distribution money. Because in the past, when the central banks actually created these physical notes, they would deliver them to the banks who will distribute them again for the state. But if you were to have a digital currency, there's no need for physical delivery. In other words, theoretically, we could actually form a relationship with the central bank. In other words, we could theoretically have an account with the central banks rather than banks themselves, entirely foregoing really the banks themselves at all. And that really seems to be the test pilot schemes in many countries. And so all this to pose a very interesting question of what is the future of banking? And now I think you would appreciate why I said what Henry Ford had stated, the idea that if we knew the illusion, which is an illusion, especially today, it is under threat of revolution, but potentially for me, I would say under disruption, a totally different model where potentially the future is digital even in the financial services, where instead of relying on banks to fund the commercial activities that we have seen over the past hundreds of years, it is now in the hands of these tech companies. These tech companies are potentially our new banks. This is a possible future. It might mean a future of convenience, because of course, many of the growth that we have seen so far, which has been very threatening, has happened because of the convenience and of course the advantages it offers over the traditional method. And this could be great, greater accessibility to financial services, potentially cheaper financial services beyond, of course, more convenient financial services. But yet it isn't without its apprehensions, especially if you take a moment to consider because the greatest one being, of course, today, there is a big issue of tech companies becoming too powerful. I've actually done a video on it uh, a while back on my YouTube channel, which you could check out. But tech companies are already dominating the social and sociological aspects of our society. And today, it is also moving into the financial and economical aspects of our society. In other words, they're essentially becoming more and more omnipresent and omnipotent. And it is also questionable whether they will lead these developments in a way that is truly good for us and sustainable over the longer term. And that is a thing that remains to be seen. Certainly more regulation is actually needed. There's also a question of privacy, always a question of privacy, because increasingly this is an issue. With more and more things being digital, even our financial services and also our money becoming digital, it becomes even more easy to track our commercial activity and even potentially regulate if you're moving away just from the concern of being monitored. Theoretically, a government or a body, whether it's a tech body or the state, they could theoretically block the actual currency from being used with certain vendors or for certain products and services. Let's say you live in a totalitarian state. That is a real possibility in this digital future of finance that we're talking about. Although fractional reserve banking sounds like a great facade and we've established that in the very beginning, still 
many of the developing and third world countries today still rely on the traditional banks, especially fractional reserve banking, to fund their commercial activity. If banks are becoming even more threatened, and even with the trend of many of the private ones collapsed in recent times, then there is also a question whether these tech companies can fill in the void of driving economic development, especially in these countries too. So ultimately, we can see that the entire banking system that we know has actually been built on an illusion that not many of us know. And this illusion is increasingly being threatened today by the commercial and digital developments of our world and our society and economies. And all this really to question whether banks will still exist in the same way as we know it, in the same practice as we know it, at least in the future.